0: Welcome to another free first-hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. I know we want to get into the action, but I have to ask that you help me armor us up a bit for the bumpy road ahead. Because I bring you the first hour of this show without unrelated ad nonsense as a proof of concept. And if you value it, then come over to THC Plus for the $8 a month and hear the full two-hour interviews as they were designed to be and as you would enjoy them most. Go to TheHigherSideChats.com or just click the link in the show notes to get started and within a minute you'll be plugging in your new Plus Show RSS feed into a hopefully decentralized podcasting 2.0 supported app. Feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go and we will reach the promised land. Think about that and enjoy the show. Serenity now, higher side chatters from sunny San Diego, I'm Greg Carlwood, just trying to hold on through this particularly rough part of the ride, and trying to stay appreciative of the world's awe and wonder just beyond the national news narrative of the day, the carefully constructed consensus presented as reality itself. But it seems as if real reality is more like a tapestry of archetypes, thoughts, desires, emotions, and unseen energy flaring up on the physical plane making connections and layering coincidence in ways that boggle the mind. At least that's how I feel after hearing the latest from the great Michael Wan. Most of you know Mike by now as this is far from our first rodeo. He is the synchromistic apocalyptic storyteller and gonzo conspiracy researcher whose work can be found at susquehannaalchemy.com In his dense and detailed presentations, he crafts esoteric mosaics of time and space and synchromistic portraits of name and place. And when he's done, you can't help but see the ties that bind, the hidden connections of a conspiratorial nature on one level, and a string of cosmic, uncanny connectivity on another. Deconstructing the cultural soup from the birth of computers to the death of Kobe, the Susquehanna sage and revealer of matrix mind magic, My friend and yours, Mike, how the hell are you?
1: Greg, I am doing well, and it is good to be back. The first thing I got to say is you do such a good job with that introduction, like both in terms of like the actual pulling the words together, and it's poetic. The words which you use are so good, but then even more so how you are setting up this latest conversation, which we are about to have you teed it up perfectly and i'm gonna be honest right now like this is a big presentation which i'm going to cover today what i mean by big is we're going to cover a whole bunch of different data points and i'm going to do my best i'm going to do my best in trying to paint a coherent picture but i'm going to need some help here i'm going to need some help because this thing is big and what i need help is from you my friend if there are points in this conversation where it gets confusing or if you're not certain with my logic please stop me ask for clarification because the time is now and this information or at least this perspective maybe that's a better way of putting it i think it's important to be shared far and wide because we are in the thick of it right now And this is hopefully going to be a presentation in which we can all get a little bit more clarity so that we can make better right steps and choices as we move forward. So with that said, I'm doing pretty good.
0: Yes, I like it. I like it. But yeah, man, I'm psyched about this one. You gave me a hell of an outline and it's always a good day when I hear that you've applied your skills to another slice of the big conspiracy pie and this one is going to be particularly tasty because even if you're one of those listeners that's not into the synchromistic stuff, if it's a little woo-woo for you, well, in this one, there's just also a lot of good old-fashioned conspiracy dot connecting when it comes to this handful of companies, the DuPonts, and what you call the two-mile strange attractor field in Williamton, Delaware seems like a real vortex of death and destruction but i'm ready.
1: <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I sent you about 70 slides, a whole bunch of slides because we're going to cover a whole bunch of things which are just going to be words and i know how how i receive information is that seeing it is important as hearing it. So for all of those that have capability, i think that you're going to put it up on the member side like Definitely, you want to go and look at these slides or open this up now if possible when following along. And possibly this may require a couple of different listens.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thanks for doing that. I'll definitely throw it up for the plus people. I appreciate you letting me do that.
1: Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. But before we begin, before we begin, before we begin, I want to bring us a little bit up to speed. So there are two things I want to say. So, first is, I think it's very important like this is what i do at least and so i'm going to hold myself to the the same requirements which i would do if i'm listening to someone else and it's like you want to know where they're coming from you want to have their point of reference because whenever information is presented whenever stories are told it's helpful to understand the perspective of where the person's coming from so with that being said this is mike's perspective the human experience is a mystery it is a mystery the most basic questions where we are how we got here what we're supposed to do we don't have definitive answers for them i mean certainly there are many many answers to these questions there are religious answers They're metaphysical answers. They're philosophical. They're scientific. They're all of these different answers. But if you really press down hard on any of those, you're going to see it's going to come to a place of belief. You're like, okay, I'm going to have to accept this one piece of being true, whether that be the Big Bang or we were created by aliens or what have you. And so the reason why I say that where I come from is I don't try to solve that big mystery. I don't think that it can be solved. And what I do is I embrace the mystery and I understand that. And because this mystery is embraced, it allows a lot of freedom of thought. You can go down a lot of different places. And so that is where I'm going to come with this information. I'm going to give a lot of different data points. I'm going to tie them together in the way that makes sense to me But then again, like this is for each person to receive this information based upon where they are and how they understand this mystery of life and particularly what's going on in the world right now. So with that being said, I want to pick up from the last time that you and I spoke. The last time you and I spoke, it was in early April of 2021. And right now we're in the end of August in 2021 or year one, as it may one day be known as. (laughs) And if you can recall, I began that last conversation sharing a personal story. And I told a story which happened in December of 2020. So just four months before that, I told a story of a mysterious poem and silver dollar, which came to me in the mail. And the reason why I told that story is because though I think I know who sent that package and that poem, it played out in my life in a way which could not have been scripted or planned. Very, very synchromistic, if you will. I began our last conversation that way because i just wanted to get into that mode kind of like what i'm saying like embracing the mystery allows me to go a little bit easier into the mysteries of life Mm -hmm. so all of that being said Mm -hmm. so we recorded we recorded last time on april 2nd and i remember it very very clearly it was a Thursday night, and it was a long conversation. I want to say we were on the phone or on the computer, whatever, for like three hours. Mm -hmm. And after we got off that call, like, you know, I was spent, you know, this is a lot of work, you know, to do these (laughs) sort of things. And I had my son staying with me that night, and I was like, all right, boys, what do you want to do tonight? And they're like young teens, 13, 14 years old, and they're like, can we see a movie tonight? I'm like, yeah, 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 what do you want to see? And they say that. They want to see the prestige a film which i've talked about many times and so i'm mm-hmm. like okay let's go and sit down and see the prestige so we watched the film the prestige and the very next morning the very next morning so this is less than 24 hours from mine and your conversation i received a second package from the exact same person so i haven't received any other packages So I talked about it on your show, about the one I received in December, and then in that following, the very following day, I received a package again from this person. And this package is completely, all of the packages, they have a theme. There's some other people who I'm in contact with who are also receiving packages from this person. This package's theme is all about the movie, The Prestige. In fact, the return address, the name which was used was actually a character from The Prestige. And so on one level, like it's not so hard to believe that this person who obviously listens to some of my work would send something about the prestige because I have talked about it. I use it as a touch point in a lot of the things I talk about. So that's not completely like unheard of. But what really gets me is the timing, the timing that you and I talked about this the night before, and I made a big deal of receiving that package and then how that played out in the coming days of my life. And then the same thing happened. And then on top of that, to add one more layer into this mystery is I said, when I got off with you, I asked my sons, I said, what do you want to watch? And it was them who chose the prestige. Mm -hmm. So I don't really have anything like more to (laughs) go than say that, but I'm saying this is the level of the mystery in which we are playing with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is trippy for sure. So it's with that, That I'm going to begin our conversation today. Yes. And though I spent a good amount of time in the slides which I sent you describing this two-mile stretch in Wilmington, Delaware, I initially sent to you, and it's listed as the intro slides because I wanted this to kind of kick it off. Since sending you those slides, the, the, the intro or the kickoff has blossomed into a much greater story. And so I'm going to spend a little bit more time here than what I initially anticipated doing, but I think that it's going to make a lot more sense, particularly in the main meat of our presentation. Okay. And so what I want to talk about right now is the field of dreams. All right. All right. So let me ask you this first. So when I say that, like, you know, what pops in your mind?
0: Well, the movie, of course, Kevin Costner. If you build it, he will come.
1: Exactly. Now, let me ask you this. Have you seen the movie Field of Dreams? Yes. When was probably the last time you saw it? (laughs) i watched it on tuesday you watched it okay well maybe you did it for prep for this yes i I actually haven't seen it for a while but the field of dreams is a very very special film in the collection of the totality of hollywood productions And I will say it for two reasons. One is like, you know, it was moderately successful. So like, you know, just the films that are successful or, you know, only a small percent will actually be that. But what is so significant and so unique and only a handful of other films meet this distinction is the fact that it has a line in the film which transcends the, the film itself. And that is, as you said, If you build it, he will come. If you build it, they will come. It's, you know, that whole mandala effect thing. We can talk about that in a moment. But I want to first stress that for a little bit, because what that phrase is, what that phrase is, well, first off is it is in the collective consciousness, unlike any other line in films. There are, you know, a handful of lines which a lot of people know. You know, maybe Luke, I am your father. You know, there are other films which there are particular lines which have really gathered weight and gravity in the collective consciousness. But those lines typically have a context limited to the film itself. Like certainly there can be some play upon that, but they are grounded in the film itself. But the way in which if you build it, they will come is structured It is so arbitrary or so general that it can apply to so many different circumstances. And because of that, it has been used many and many, many times. Like I'm just talking about that right now on mainstream thinking level. And so this is a line which has transcended the film itself. It is in so many people's minds, whether or not they know what film it's from, whether or not they've even seen the film. So if we begin to go and look at that line, we will see that it is, or at least it meets the definition of being a hypnotic suggestion, mm-hmm. which very, very deeply is ingrained in the collective consciousness. So we just want to start with that as an idea, not even thinking about like what this hypnotic suggestion may be. So we're going to start with that. And now let's go over to the actual breakdown of field of dreams and what that even means. So the field of dreams, like we have two different parts of it. We have the word field and we have the word dreams. And in the first definition, and both of these words are double entendre, so they have the capability of double entendre, they have multiple meanings. But we're going to go with the first and primary meanings. So a field is a material part of our reality, you know, a grass field. It is something real and material. And then a dream, you know, that's the thing that happens, the mystery that happens when we fall asleep, this thing that happens on another realm and another plane of reality. And when they are linked together, when they're linked together, the field of dreams, what is being illustrated is this is the term, this is the phrase which talks about where the sublime, this non-material plane of reality meets the literal and the material plane where the dream world meets the material world. And so this is also part of this whole hypnotic suggestion, which is part of the field of dreams. All right. Mm -hmm. You follow me. Okay. So just for the listeners at home in the event that they are not familiar with the film, the basic plot is this. You got a farmer who's in Iowa. He's a corn farmer and he hears a voice. And the voice tells them, if you build it, they will come. Or at least that's how most people remember it. But now we're being told that it's, if you build it, he will come. And then what happens is he goes and he builds this baseball, this regulation baseball field in his farm, in his cornfield. Then he goes around and has like some adventures. He meets some people. He also has some interactions with ghosts, previous major league baseball players, in fact, tied to a very scandalous part of baseball history known as 1919 World Series scandal, where there was like, you know, the Chicago White Sox, I believe they threw the game, like they purposely right. were on the fix. So like those characters came back in, he meets some other characters who then also hear the voice There's all this kind of like, you know, oh, you're crazy, you're not crazy. But nonetheless, he builds this field and then these ghosts come out and it turns out that one of them is his father and like everyone sees the game and they play a baseball game there. And at the very end, the part of the storyline was like the guy was in financial turmoil and then it turns out like there's this long line of cars who come and they watch the baseball game. So we're dealing with like fantasy and mysticism and baseball and this idea of like following a voice and bringing it into material reality and then that actually plays out it was like a feel-good movie and people love that film okay Mm -hmm. so the reason i'm bringing this up is on august 12th just a couple weeks ago in 2021 there was a major league baseball game there was a major league baseball game that took place at the actual field that was built in this iowa cornfield like they really did like to make the film they built this baseball stadium it became kind of a tourist attraction and so this baseball game took place and the reason why I'm really stressing this is because what we're seeing in the most literal sense, like if you were to watch this movie, if you were to watch it with just like a regular view of like, you know, I'm watching like Hollywood cinema, like this idea of like, oh, this thing happened in the realm of Hollywood, but then it actually occurred in our material reality a real life baseball game like not just like you know little league or like a bunch of like you know amateurs but a professional baseball game occurred between the yankees and the white Sox. and you know i didn't watch the game but i did read a summary of it and the game itself played out as if it were like you know this beautiful baseball scripted story with like lots of runs and i believe that the game was won in the bottom of the ninth like you know it was this fantastic It lived up to every expectation that could possibly happen so we see that there's this link we see that there's this link in space where there was a movie version of a baseball game that took place purely in the realm of Hollywood and in the viewer's mind. And then it actually took place. It actually took place in physical reality. And that happened on August 12th. And so we know that they've taken place in space. And now what we also know is that there's going to be a link between the two. And so that link is going to be in time. And so what we want to do now is we look at, well, when was this hypnotic trance, when was this movie first released? First released into the collective consciousness. And this movie was released in 1989. In fact, it was released on May 5th. So 5-5-1989 is when that movie took place. And the reason why this is so significant is because we want to look at the events in our reality of what is also occurring between these two, the release of the movie and then the coming of manifest of an actual major league baseball happening in this field of dreams. And so if you go to look back at history in 1989, 1989 was a really, really significant time in history. This was 32 years ago. And 1989 is known as the fall of the Iron Curtain. And so what was going on? It began like probably, you know, George Bush Sr. was sworn in in January. And then shortly after that, after a nine-year occupation, the Soviet Union, you know, the bad guys, if you will, they withdrew from Afghanistan. That was always a big story up throughout the 80s of the Soviets in Afghanistan. And finally, they leave. They, you know, just like Alexander the Great could not take over Afghanistan, neither could the Soviets. And they had to, in a humiliating way, they withdrew from Kabul. And then later in that year, we had the Tiananmen Square event. We had the fall of the Berlin Wall in November. We had the decapitation of the dictator in Romania. So many other events that were happening in Poland and all of these Eastern Bloc countries, there were revolutions. The people rose up and there was the fall of the Iron Curtain. And so that was what was linked in time in 1989 with the release of this film. So now we go and we look in 2021 and we see that there was this manifestation of the Field of Dreams takes place. And so what occurs is this fantastic baseball game takes place in August 12th. And then three days later, there was the withdrawal of U.S. forces. After 20 years being in Afghanistan, they withdraw just like when the Soviets did three days after the occurrence of this baseball game. So now we have this link between actual events in our history. And if you're really paying attention to this story of what's going on in Afghanistan, like it's just like the baseball game, like it's just strangely scripted. And what I mean by that particularly is how the Taliban is now getting all of the US forces equipment and uniforms. And like, you know, there's this switcheroo, which is taking place. And in fact, what seems to be occurring is there is a complete inversion switcheroo rue tied into these two events from 1989 and 2021 where we see the collapse of an iron curtain and the attempt of the building of an iron curtain if you will within the western landscape within you know Australia and throughout Europe and we're seeing it throughout United states but we're seeing this happening we're seeing this happening in real time which is why I really want to start off with this so Before I go in a little bit deeper, I want to give a moment of pause to see if you have any clarification which needs to occur.
0: No, I think that makes a lot of sense. I mean, there's a lot of rhyming going on between these two periods of time and being 32 years apart. I mean, that's also a very potent esoteric number.
1: Without a doubt.
0: But this stuff you have in Act 2, this is really where the rubber meets the road because we get into corporate malfeasance and how these merchants of death really are... Just one big network trading billion-dollar assets around, and it gets into several threads that are quite telling when it comes to how the biosecurity state laid its base.
1: And so we got to go a little bit deeper because what we see in Act 2 is a literal field of dreams. That is what this two-mile area is, because I'm talking to you right now about a concept. And now we're going to see this concept go into like a little bit more reality, but now I'm going to get a little bit deeper. So we want to think about this hypnotic suggestion because it also is indicative of a modus operandi. If you build it, they will come because all what we're seeing right now, if you're really looking at the other storyline, which is playing out right now in reality, it was a false narrative beginning with that. Event 201, like that was the construct. There was a construct, there was a telling of like, this is what's happening and this is the dangers and they built this idea and they sold it. And at one point that was just an idea and that was in 2020. But now we can see that that idea has taken root, whereas maybe it was completely built and particularly from my perspective of a made up idea, it is now something that is real. It was built as an idea, and now people are policing themselves. This is the modus operandi. You build it, and they will come. But we're talking about hypnotic suggestions, and this is where we get another level of depth, which goes with this storyline, because we got to see, like, how deep. Goes. How deep this goes. There's another interesting tie, and I'm not going to go too deep into it. In 1989, on April 4th, on 4 4, there was an assassination attempt of the president of haiti and then on seven seven of this year of 2021 on july 7th there was an actual assassination not an attempt again of the haitian president so we see that the same places are significant in this storyline assassinations all this sort of stuff and i don't want to get too far down into it but those are very like tangible kind of stakes in the ground but i want to go into the hypnotic suggestion One of the areas, particularly from a conspiratorial perspective, when we think of hypnotic suggestions and we think of like even more so like Manchurian candidates, we come back to the catcher in the rye. particularly the assassinations which occurred in the 80s, which are tied into The Catcher of the Rye, most notably being the Hinckley assassination attempt of President Reagan, and then also the assassination of John Lennon. And both of those murderers had copies of that book on them. So the reason why I bring that up is because The Field of Dreams has a strange connection to The Catcher and The Rye. And so I'm going to walk through that because we can see it's all connected. The movie, The Field of Dreams, is based upon a book. And the book has a different name than the movie. The book was called Shoeless Joe. And so for the most part, they're pretty similar. But Shoeless Joe is what I want to talk about and was written by an author whose name is W.P. Kinsella. Kinsella is his last name. And this book came out in 1982. So to give you a little bit of a timeline, in January of 1980 is when the John Lennon assassination took place. And it took place right in front of the Dakota apartment building in New York City. And then in 1981 is when the Hinckley assassination attempt took place in Washington, D.C. And then in 1982 is when this book was released. And so in the movie, there is a character who is played by James Earl Jones, you know, Darth Vader, and his character in the film is Terrence Mann. But in the book, the character was J.D. Salinger. The author of Catcher in the Rye. And the author of the book of Shoeless Joe, he was writing it like a fantasy. Like, you know, he was blending in reality and fiction and like real people and like false people. And he said, and we can see this in reading like the interviews, which are still available online, that he wanted to have this J.D. Salinger, this reclusive author character in his book. But when they made the movie out of it, they did not want to use the name J.D. Salinger because, uh, you know, as the Wikipedia story goes, they didn't want to deal with any sort of legal issues with the state of J.D. Salinger. But nonetheless, J.D. Salinger was a character in this book, Shoeless Joe. But it gets stranger than that. What happens is or what you learn by reading about the interviews from the author Kinsella was when he decided that he was going to write this book, Shoeless Joe. And when he decided that J.D. Salinger was going to be a character in the book, he wanted to find out as much about J.D. Salinger as he could so that he could really like flesh out the character and make it and make it real. But there's not much information known on J.D. Salinger. He's very reclusive. And so what Kinsella did was he read all of the work which is available, the works written by Salinger. And lo and behold, when he read the entire catalog of works from Salinger, in two different works, there are two different characters whose name is Kinsella. So in Catcher and the Rye, there is a secondary or a tertiary character whose name is Kinsella. And then in another work, which I don't recall the name of it, is another Kinsella. So we have Kinsella who is, as they tell us, he was driven to have a character about J.D. Salinger. And J.D. Salinger has been writing all about Kinsella to begin with. And the main character from the Field of Dreams is also named Kinsella. So we're looking at all of this like really, really like, and I'm going to leave it in this mystery but we can see it's the same players, the same sort of like bizarreness of interconnection between what's going on in the hypnotic realm and hypnotic suggestions of the viewer and of MKUltra and assassination and all of this sort of stuff. It is all in the backdrop of this film Field of Dreams, which then became manifest just recently on August 12th, 2021.
0: Right, right. Because, you know, Shoeless Joe is the primary
1: baseball player ghost that they're dealing with in Field of Dreams as well. Correct, correct. And if you go and you look, where was John Lennon assassinated? He was assassinated at the Dakota apartment building the dakota apartment building in new york city is one of the most infamous apartment buildings it's got two things which it's really known for one is this strange assassination of john lennon which ushered in the decade of the 80s it happened on january 8th 1980 but then it is also the setting of the film, Rosemary's Baby, which came out in 1968, I believe. And Rosemary's Baby was directed by Roman Polanski. Everyone knows the story of Roman Polanski and his pedophilia. He was the husband of the woman who was killed in the Manson murders. And then the movie plot, which was of Rosemary's Baby, which took place in the Dakota Hotel, is all about a woman who is gaslighted by a satanic cult living in the Dakota in order to impregnate her with the seed of Satan so that she can birth the after Christ. Like these are all of the touch points that are in when you start going and looking two levels deeper in all of this, which all tie in. And so then to go and then tie it in Even deeper, back to baseball, the Dakota Hotel was developed. The person who put the money to make it happen is a guy by the name of Edward Clark. He was a very wealthy industrialist in the 1800s, and his company was the Singer sewing machine manufacturers. They made sewing machines, like the primary sewing machines in the 1800s. Very, very big business back then. His grandson is the guy who is behind the creation of the Baseball Hall of Fame located in Cooperstown at the source location of the Susquehanna River. Like I've talked about this when I go into the Susquehanna River. It is founded in baseball. It is founded in baseball. I've been doing a lot of talks lately about ball worship and all of this sort of stuff. And so now when we go back to this idea of this hypnotic suggestion of like, build it and he will come, you know, you got to ask yourself, who is this friggin' he? <laughs> who is this he? Who is this baseball? We've got all of these different players. We've got all of this stuff. So this is where I kind of want to like tie up this field of dreams baseball storyline before we move into the meat of our presentation. Yes. Okay, are we ready for it? Oh, I'm ready. So, okay, now we're switching gears. And the whole purpose of this, the whole purpose of me telling these stories is to really paint, like there's so many ways of looking at what is happening in our reality right now. And there is a truth on so many of these levels. Like, you know, there is the actual storyline of like, you know, how this is unfolding. And then there's like the mystical aspect And the more we can go and see like, you know, what we're waking up into, the more clear we can become with it, then it becomes more obvious how we move throughout it. Because the truth of the matter is we have been born into this system. We have been groomed from the very beginning to believe that what is ordinary is just the way it should be. But the truth is we were just born into it. So it appears ordinary. So the meat of this presentation is about a two-mile stretch of land found in Wilmington, Delaware. And what we find in this two-mile stretch of land in Wilmington, Delaware, and I'm going to list the five points, and I call this a field of dreams, quite literally where the esoteric ritual and material reality meet. What we find there, and we're going to spend a good amount of time going through the details of this. The first thing which we find on the western end of this two-mile stretch is the church in which the sitting president, Joseph Biden, attends. This is his home church. It's known as St. Joseph of the Brandywine. So we find that there. And then a little bit further... East from there, we're going to find the campus of the research and development campus of the DuPont Corporation. So this is, I don't know, like maybe 15, 20 buildings where all of the research and development of DuPont has historically taken place. Right in the center and a little bit further east from this DuPont research and development campus. We find a 300 acre estate of one of the former leaders, CEOs of the DuPont Corporation, and one of the primary DuPont family members. Uh, and it's known as the Newmar Estate. And then just to the east of that, and this is all right next to each other. You know, you want to look at the map. I think the slide is called the primary map. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to look at with this. Just east of the estate is where we find a world-renowned children's hospital. And then just next to that and on the eastern border of this two-mile stretch is where we find the North American headquarters of AstraZeneca. Mm -hmm. So what we have right here In this two-mile stretch, these are the players that are involved. We have the sitting president. We have the North American headquarters of one of the primary vaccine distributors of what's going on right now. And it is all grounded on the estate because before these were built, they were all part of the estate of one of the according to Fritz Springmeier, one of the 13 bloodlines of the Illuminati. And, you know, you take that for whatever that's worth, you know, on Fritz Springmeier's research. But one of the things which is said about the DuPont family and how it is unique within the bloodlines of the Illuminati is they are known as the most witchcrafty, the most spell oriented of the bloodlines okay and i'll also throw this one other point of reference to where we are in physical reality for people who are familiar with the breadth of your work greg i don't know how many times you have had him on your show, but in the past you have had Jay Parker. Mm-hmm. And if people are familiar with Jay Parker and his his expose and research into satanic ritual abuse, it is all surrounded by this artistic, this artist colony called Arden, Delaware. And Arden, Delaware is just five miles away. From this same two mile stretch. Which I talk about. So when we talk about this field of dreams. Like these are the different players. Which I'm beginning this story with.
0: Mm -hmm. And I know we're going to get deeper into it. But when you look at the DuPont estate. And how it's all laid out. I mean just like you look at Washington DC. And you're like some real intention. And Geomancy went into crafting this place. The same can be said for The gardens at the DuPont estate, there's some weird stuff I'm sure we're going to talk about, but yeah, AstraZeneca, their strange history. And really when you laid out the history of Imperial Chemical Industries and DuPont and IG Farben, and that these are all business partners and their nature of business is anti-human, anti-earth, and pro-death, and then just... This DuPont Experimental Station, that right there just sounds creepy. It's got a real
1: MKUltra flavor to it. But yeah, I think this is where the rubber meets the road. It's where the rubber meets the road, and it's where the synchromysticism meets the road. It is where the Hollywood spell meets the road. Like All of this goes and points to this area. I'm going to say this one point, and I'm going to go to a little synchro mysticism, and then we're going to come back. Like I'm going to be bringing us like from the synchro mysticism back to like the material, and back and forth because we need to see like the whole scope of what is in play. But before I do that, I want to point this out: what we also see from a very very like tangible historical perspective, what we see. In this two-mile stretch is a, at least in theory, a replica of the model which was used by the Third Reich in Nazi Germany. And most specifically, I'm talking about the role of IG Farben, which was the big conglomerate which was so embedded with the government of Germany And how they were the company that allowed the German war machine to really take place, or they were one of the primary players. Their modus of operandi is working within the concentration camps. And then specifically, you know... They had their own concentration camps within IG Farben did, and what they did was they did all of their research and development on the children which were held in these prisoner camps, and we are seeing the same things happening here. Now, I'm not suggesting, I'm not going so far and saying that was literally happening in this two-mile stretch. I'm open to it occurring. But what we are definitely seeing is we're seeing children's hospitals with really rare diseases. We're seeing this group of children that are there. We're seeing like this highly, highly secretive and fortified research and development arm of DuPont in general. And DuPont is like no different than Monsanto if you want to get down into like their anti human product line anti-earth product line and then we also have the pharmaceutical we've got all of the same players are located right now. right but before we get into that i want to go and really explain what brought my attention recently into this area and why i'm telling this story now i have a little bit of a personal history to wilmington delaware i'd lived there for six months and probably like 2015 and so I had a lot of feet on the ground, like, experience there. And I had a lot of feet on the ground of this two-mile stretch because also included in this two-mile stretch is a really, really, like, nice public park, wooded area. So I had been in that wooded area. I know that space. My feet have been there, like, you know, and, you know, for better and for worse. I've been in Arden, Delaware before. Like, I know these places. But what really brought it to mind was this relationship between three films that came out in the 1990s and the reason i keep going back to the hollywood stuff is because hollywood is such a significant part of crafting the false realities in the collective consciousness i mean this is this is how you build it and they will come You know, Disney capturing the imagination, when you give these sort of stories and you tell people like, you know, the way things are, the, you know, the the basic idea of like, you know, you will see what you expect to see. This is why it's so important to, as Walter Lippmann put it, you know, one of the fathers of propaganda, it is so important to paint the pictures which people see in their mind's eyes, because that is what will then become reality, no matter how you want to go and look at that phrase of creating reality. So there is that reason why Hollywood is so important. And then, secondly, within this realm of, you know, I'll just call it magic for lack of a better word, at the highest level, there is this practice of following omniversal law of needing to reveal the method if you will you got to tell the truth so that the logic behind it is that people theoretically have a free choice or a free will in it they know what's coming and so because of that there is truth we can go and we can see some truth hidden within a lot of these films and so I want to go back to three films from the nineties, which point to this area. And I think they also give a hint as to solutions or maybe not solution might not be the right word as much as like, you know, ways in which we are able to navigate, which is unfolding before our eyes. So I'm going to begin with the 1995. I'm not going to spend that much time in here, but I want to point this out in the 1995 film, 12 monkeys. And 12 monkeys stars bruce willis and brad pitt and this film got a bunch of attention recently because you know probably most people are aware it deals with a virus which goes and wipes out all of humanity if you will so all of these virus films like right in 2020 people started watching them again and so 12 monkeys is one of them And it's not just about viruses, because it also deals with time travel. Because the main character in it, Bruce Willis, part of the storyline is he was sent back from the future to try to figure out They thought that a terrorist group called the 12 Monkeys released a virus, and that was the reason why all of humanity died. But in the film, you go and you find out that, no, it was the scientists themselves that released the virus. But nonetheless, nonetheless, we're dealing with time loops. We're dealing with time loops, and I'll tell you why that's important in a moment. So within 12 Monkeys, there are two characters. So we've got the Bruce Willis character, and then we've got this Brad Pitt character. And the Brad Pitt character plays this guy, and they meet in a mental institution. And the Brad Pitt character plays this guy who is just friggin' nuts. Like, you know, he's like all sorts of like, he's got these tics and he talks strange and he's like obviously like crazy, like a crazy homeless guy who would stand on the street. But if you listen, and particularly in light of our modern understanding of what's going on, remember this came out in 1995, like everything this Brad Pitt character says is like, wow, this guy is speaking the truth. He just sounds nuts. So, okay, that's where we begin with these three different movies. So the 12 Monkeys is the first one. and 12 Monkeys, there are two settings in 12 Monkeys. It takes place both in Baltimore, Maryland, and Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And so these two cities, if you're not familiar with them, they're about, maybe about 90 miles apart from one another. And just about in the center in between the two is where we find Wilmington, Delaware. All right. So now we're going to go and see the two movies which are connected to 12 Monkeys. Okay. And one of the things which I do, or the, one of the ways at which I look at films, is you can see there is a continuity of films which are supposedly separate but they connect through the actors who are within them and if you pay attention you'll see that though it is supposedly a different character if you start to pay attention you you'll be like oh no this is the exact same character he's got the same modus operandi and you can see that they're connected so 12 Monkeys gives us two different options of how things kind of play out from the two different characters, the Bruce Willis character and the Brad Pitt character. So we're going to follow the Bruce Willis character first. And so 12 Monkeys connects to The Sixth Sense. Most people are familiar with The Sixth Sense. And so The Sixth Sense came out four years later, came out in 1999, and Sixth Sense stars Bruce Willis. and. A young Haley Joel Osment, and the whole thing is like, you know, Bruce Willis is a ghost and he doesn't realize he's a ghost. And Haley Joel Osment, his character is able to see him. And one of the things which if you look at the storyline, it's about not knowing who you are because Bruce Willis doesn't know who he is. But where it gets really interesting is first, The Sixth Sense takes place in Philadelphia. So we know that there's a connection with 12 Monkeys because it's Philadelphia and we've got Bruce Willis again. But most interestingly, most interestingly, is that the character Bruce Willis plays in 12 Monkeys, his name is Cole, James Cole. And the character which Haley Joel Osment plays in Sixth Sense, his name is Cole as well. And if you go, and I've got like pictures of all this, these are all on the slides. And if you go and you look within the movie, the 12 monkeys, it has to do with time loops where how the movie ends is a young Bruce Willis character sees an older version of himself shot and killed in the Philadelphia or the Baltimore airport. If you look at that character from 12 monkeys, it looks very, very similar to the Haley Joel Osmond character from The Sixth Sense. They're both called Cole. We see them at the same age, they have the same coloring. We see this link which is happening in there. And then to add to that, both of these films, you know, if you go and you look at their most famous line from the films, it's the same friggin' line. In 12 Monkeys, The Bruce Willis character is famously known for saying, All I see are dead people. And that is the most famous line from The Sixth Sense. The Sixth Sense was written and directed by M. Night Shyamalan, the Night Shaman, you know, whoever this guy is. But the Sixth Sense storyline is about like, you know, not even knowing you're dead and all of these time loops. Remember, that's what we're seeing with 1989 and the 2021, like this switcheroo of the fall of the Iron Curtain and the rising of the Iron Curtain. We're seeing these time loops. And so that is one storyline which is being presented. And so we see that with the Sixth Sense. And so now we're going to go and look at the second storyline, which is connected to the 12 Monkeys. And that has to do with the Brad Pitt character. And the Brad Pitt character, as I said before, he was seen as totally friggin' nuts. And so let's go back, like probably if you're a listener to this show, if you're a listener to this show. And particularly if you're a longtime listener in this show, you have probably gone through in your actual life experience, as you began to become awoken to what is actually happening in reality, like let's say five years ago, let's say 10 years ago, and as you began to tell your friends and family all that you were learning and discovering, they thought you were friggin' nuts. They thought you were friggin' nuts, just like Brad Pitt. And chances are we all went through this period when we first were learning about what is actually happening, like about how all of the history is a lie and all of this stuff. And I know from my own experience, like when I first started telling everyone, like I probably sounded a lot like the Brad Pitt character, like I came across as being nuts. And so this is another storyline. You got the Bruce Willis going into this repeating of timelines, but then we got the Brad Pitt character. And I'm going to suggest this Brad Pitt character is going to be another option of how we move forward. And so the Brad Pitt character begins of being totally nuts. And he also, and what's interesting in The Twelve Monkeys, he was thought to be the bad guy who was behind the virus. But the truth of the matter is he wasn't the bad guy. He was actually the opposite. But the Brad Pitt character, he continued in another film, just like we saw Bruce Willis move from James Cole in 12 Monkeys to his character in The Sixth Sense. We see that the Brad Pitt character moves from The 12 Monkeys and he turns into nonetheless, but Tyler Durden of Fight Club. And why do I say that? I say that most obviously is if you go and you listen to what Tyler Durden says, it is almost identical to the same perspective as the Brad Pitt character from 12 Monkeys. But the only difference, the Brad Pitt character has become a little bit more sophisticated with his delivery. He's no longer all sorts of manic. He's like, this is just the way it is. And now, like, you know, I know how I fit into this crazy sort of world. In fact, I'm going to bring it down. And so the Brad Pitt character I'm going to suggest is where so many of us were in this beginning of the story. And then as we become more experienced, experienced understanding how the world works and more experience and like listen i can't just go around and telling every single person what's going on that that is this transformation of this brad pitt into tyler durden now we could also go into the fact that like tyler durden and the narrator the ed norton character they tend to be the same person but we're not going to go too far down it's a fast i've done that in some other videos but it's a fascinating look. But the last thing I want to say before we return to Delaware is Fight Club takes place in Wilmington, Delaware. And the conclusion of the movie Fight Club was the bringing of it all down. It was a precursor of the collapse of the towers on September 11th. You know, you see that happening in Fight Club 1999. But the reason why that came from is the Tyler Durden slash Ed Norton character said that the problem of all of this consumerism, this materialism and all that is, is a false reality, which everyone has been sold into. It must be brought down. And where is it brought down? And now, listen, I want to be crystal clear here. I'm not telling anyone to go bring this stuff down. I'm not saying that. I'm going on record for that. But I'm looking at this metaphorically, looking at what we're going to go look at in Wilmington, Delaware, metaphorically. Like this storyline, these options are being presented before us. Okay? Mm Mm-hmm. Are you following
0: me? Yeah, and I definitely think the movie stuff is really fascinating, but we're basically at an hour and I don't want to end the first hour without giving some, without without giving the people some of that big pharma stuff, because that is the nuts and bolts conspiracy. Um, So hopefully we can get into that pretty quickly and then I'll cut the show, you know, at that point.
1: Perfect. Well, then let me go right into that. So we're going to return back to Delaware. So we're returning back and we're going to begin with AstraZeneca. And a lot of this has been covered like from the very beginning. If you followed the conspiratorial element of these pharmaceutical companies from the beginning of the vaccine storyline, which is being told to us, like, I'm just rehashing what other people have already pointed out. So this can all be verified, but this is what it is. So AstraZeneca, as a pharmaceutical company, was a merger between two other companies, one being Astra, one being Zeneca. And so we're going to focus on the Zeneca portion. And I want to say this happened like sometime in the mid-90s, like right in the time of all of this movie stuff. So now let's go look at Zeneca. So where did Zeneca come from? Zeneca was a spin-off. So it was part of another corporation, a much much larger corporation. than Zeneca itself and it and they created their own independent corporation. And what it was a spin-off from was a UK-based company called ICI So ICI, let's go and look at the beginnings of ICI. ICI was founded in like 1925, and it was the merger of four different companies, and they created ICI. In fact, they were a conglomerate. And they dealt a lot with chemicals and they dealt a lot with explosives. And so we're going to come and look at the DuPont Corporation in a moment, but we're going to see that it's a very, very similar company to what the DuPont company came to be. But the key thing about the ICI Corporation in which we want to go and focus upon is who the first CEO was. So, this CEO was in charge of one of the four initial companies that became ICI. And then, over those four companies, he became the CEO of the one conglomerate. And his name was Lord Mound, M O U N D, I believe it is. I'm going by memory here. And so, if anyone is familiar with the Pilgrim Society, If you're not, you should definitely go and research the Pilgrim Society. The Pilgrim Society is one of these organizations, kind of like the Council on Foreign Relations, but I'm going to say like one level up or down, depending upon how you want to look at it, one level more influential than, let's say, the Council on Foreign Relations. The Pilgrim Society is... How so many of the institutions that we know contemporarily, this is where they began. Like, this is where we get the beginnings of MI5 and 6, the beginnings of OSS, CIA. They all came out of the Pilgrim Society. It's still around now. Like, people like, Kissinger are notorious members of the Pilgrim Society. The Pilgrim Society is particularly well-documented in the very beginnings of infiltration within all of the supposed free press throughout, particularly the United States and throughout the U.K., But the Pilgrim Society is kind of like where it happened. So, this guy Mound, who founded and was the first leader of ICI, which becomes AstraZeneca, like from the very beginning, like it's all the same. Like it's the same players. They just, it's a huge tree which branches off in all of these very, very different levels. Like, if you're able to see this, like, big 10,000 foot view, of like JD Salinger and MK Ultra and CIA and all of those sort of stuff. Like they're all connected here. So going back to AstraZeneca, so AstraZeneca, its foundation is from the same organizations, same sort of people. And AstraZeneca, like they could live anywhere or they could have incorporated anywhere within the United States for their North American headquarters. And, you know, for whatever reason, I'm certain there was like a very valid reason, effective reason for why they chose Wilmington, Delaware. Nonetheless, nonetheless, you know, whatever that may be, they were in Wilmington, Delaware. And of all the places which they were in Wilmington, Delaware, they are like right in this two mile stretch. So let's go a little bit deeper. We talked about IG Farben, IG Farben being the German-based conglomerate. So we had in Germany, we had this big like chemical explosive petro conglomerate known as IG Farben. The UK had theirs called ICI, and in the United States, we had DuPont, And it is a matter of the historical record from the very beginning. Like, you know, these companies have been in collusion together. You know, there have been congressional hearings where they're talking about price fixing and all sorts of interconnections between these companies. They're the same friggin' company. It's like, yeah, Pepsi and Coke, they're two different companies. And there's a certain level where there's a great deal of competition like you know i know a guy who's like a vice president of sales of coke and this guy like hates pepsi so much like he'll never drink pepsi like that's a true like feeling he has but on a higher level it's all the freaking same like they're all on the same page like let's get as many people as we can to drink the soda water mm-hmm. you know that's what it's all about and the same thing is going to be said with and we can see between these ici ig Farben, and dupont And we could see even as late as, I want to say, the most recent congressional sort of thing that happened. Maybe this wasn't congressional. I think this just happened in a district court level. But there was a lawsuit, I think, in 1951, where it was the U.S. versus DuPont and ICI. These guys have always been in bed together. As late as the early 1990s, like, ICI sold some division to DuPont. Like on a certain level, they've always been connected. But one of the things which I find very interesting about these three companies is they all share a common business ancestor. And what that common business ancestor is, is Alfred Nobel. Alfred Nobel, as in the Nobel Prize and so think about like what the nobel prize what that is a symbol of in the collective mind there are many places in which there are Nobel prizes, you know, in all these different sort of areas. But I would suggest, like, it is best known for the Nobel Peace Prize. So it's like, you know, we think of the Nobel Prize as the symbol of peace and humanitarianism and all this sort of stuff. But, you know, if you're listening to the show, you probably know that's, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's a farce like most things. Mm-hmm. And if you actually go and you look at the history Of this Alfred Nobel, like he was a death merchant. You know, he made his money through the development of explosives primarily used in war. In fact, as the story goes, the whole reason that the Nobel Prize came into existence is that Alfred Nobel did not want his legacy to be that of what he was and that being a death merchant, but to be remembered as the great champion of humanity, which is why he put all of his estate into creating this Nobel trust. So, you know, that's part of this whole sort of like trickery and mocking, which you could say, which happens on a certain level of crafting this dream Of the collective consciousness but the truth of the matter is alfred nobel was a very successful businessman and he set up all of these different corporations like in different countries like he had a nobel organization in germany and a nobel organization in the uk and a nobel company in the united states and the nobel organization which was in the uk became one of the four founding companies which made ici And one of the primary companies, which in Germany, that became one of the major arms of IG Farben. And then the Nobel company, which was in the United States, became one of the major business segments of DuPont. All of these companies, not only are they historically connected in so many different ways of collusion and price fixing and all this sort of stuff. And, and I mean, we know that World War II, everyone was on the same page, IBM, Ford, all of that. But we can see that they all began with explosives and death and the killing. The majority of people who die in wars are not soldiers, they are just people who are caught in between of the bombings of the cities. And this is where these three companies, they all began.
0: Yes. Yes, man. That is basically what I thought was most exciting and compelling about this particular presentation is just how they have the same common ancestor, the IG Farben kind of Auschwitz template that you talk about, and then the DuPont experimental facility. You know, that's the weird thing is you can call a facility a children's hospital for children of rare diseases, but how does a company like DuPont deal with rare diseases? Experimentation. So it's a fine line between experimenting on sick kids (laughs) and actually trying to make them better. So when you look at the histories of these companies, it doesn't make me feel any better. I wouldn't want to send my kid there, but it's tricks with language that allows it to be like, oh, no, we're doing good. This is just, this is just how it goes. But you know, nothing they've ever produced has been health promoting. So when you send kids there and call it like uh, an experimental children's hospital for people with rare diseases and you have the, like kind of the same template as IG Farben and Auschwitz, it seemed like they were almost establishing that sort of thing here in this area of Delaware. And it's allowed to exist because it's under the guise of, well, we're helping these kids with rare diseases. But I would, I would be curious to see uh, the mind state of the actual doctors that are implementing these exotic potential cures on these very sick
1: kids. You brought up so many good points. And so I once did a really – what I thought was a really interesting video about the making of the mind of a doctor. And that's another kind of conversation. But the point I want to bring out is I'm not suggesting that all of these doctors – I'm not even suggesting most of them. Like I think they buy into it. They buy into the storyline. I know people who have sent their children to the A.I. DuPont Children's Hospital, as it is known. And they've had like, you know, wonderful experiences. Like it gets so complex because we're multiple, multiple generations of what we think medicine is and what we think health is. And if you really are going to deconstruct, you have to go through and deconstruct so many assumptions, which the modern understanding of health is built upon. And that's a tricky thing to do. And not everyone is necessarily ready to do that. So I think that requires a lot of unpacking, as they say. But the way which I see it, particularly in contemporary times, like the way I kind of understand it, if you go and you look at what we know of what happened in World War II, primarily the bombings of both the city of London and let's say the city of Dresden. Those are like the two greatest examples of just like the destruction of cities. And then we compare that to what happened on September 11th, 2001 in New York City. You know, in my opinion, they're pretty much the same thing, all the same players. What we're seeing is a much more... Sophisticated and laser like approach to the same modus operandi. That's what we saw in 2001. And so I think the same thing can be said in terms of looking at this military medical industry. Like, you know, when we go and look at what was happening in the prison camps and the concentration camps within Germany, the most notorious is probably Auschwitz. Now, realize there was within Auschwitz, there was a separate, completely independent concentration camp, I would say, experimental station called IG Auschwitz. And this is what they did they went and they took prisoners for whatever reason you got locked up, for whatever undeplorable reason. And then there was like the free testing of all of these research subjects. Now, one of the things I have not been able to verify yet, but my sense is, my sense is that Joseph Mengele was probably an employee, like who paid his salary? I think he was probably paid by IG Farben. I think that's who he was paid by. But what we're seeing in Delaware, I'm going to say, is a very like surgically produced, watered down version of what we saw in these prisoner camps. Just like what we saw the difference between the bombings of the cities from 1940 to 2001, we're seeing also like a similar kind of change, more like humanitarian. We're not destroying all of New York City, we're just taking down these three buildings here. Kind of similar to that. Like, you know, oh, we're doing good. We're giving you like all of these good lethal chemicals to heal your children, which we made sick anyway, probably from a product which they got from DuPont to begin with. You know, there's a real like perverse sickness in the irony of a child going to the DuPont Children's Hospital who could very well have gotten sick because they're a second or third generation from a parent that got sick because they were cooking on Teflon pans or ingesting any of the chemicals which were used for fertilizers by, by DuPont, there's a sickness, there's a perverseness which is tied into it. And if now, you know, I don't know how you set it up, if like now you want to kind of like set for the break and then we'll go into the second part because I want to yeah, talk sure. a little bit and what we're going to talk about in the second part is like we laid out maybe the business nuts and bolts which the business reasons is one of the reasons why i think so many people could get sucked into participating in this show of horrors not realizing what they are but in the second half i want to look at specifically the symbology of both the estate which we find all of these corporate entities are built upon And then also tying that into Joseph Biden and his inaugural event. And we're going to see where this kind of like sickness and this perverseness of hunting humans and destroying humans, where that's grounded in an ancient practice.
0: Yes, (laughs) I like it, man. That works great for me. We will call that the end of the first hour. Thanks for letting us add a little bit more of the nuts and bolts big pharma conspiracy stuff. So we didn't just leave people with field of dreams and 12 monkeys and that stuff, which is interesting and that it's all thematically tied in and locationally tied in. I love it. Well, another intense whirlwind full of interesting information about people, places, Hollywood, major companies, a lot of stuff still in play today. That little Two-mile stretch seems like a one hell of an energy vortex.
1: Yeah, they got a field of dreams there. (laughs) Yes. Or nightmares. Right, right. Well,
0: always a pleasure. You are one of the greats, and I'm lucky that you keep wanting to come back here. So thanks again, and tell them about anything you do. I mean, you say you're not doing a whole lot either, but I mean, you do sell some merch. Uh, You have some places where you're looking for support these days. Let them know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, just
1: because I'm not doing nothing doesn't mean I ain't accepting. So, all right, thank you for that opportunity. So, first off, the audience of Higher Side Chats has always really done a good job taking care of me. So, Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that. And, you know, I used to 10 years ago, 15 years ago, like I was deep into the world of regular living, and I've slowly moved off over the past 10 years. And so, uh, you know, we support each other. And I've done that even more so. I've, I've elected to paint myself in the corner because right now I'm not working with people. That's how, at least for having to pay bills, like that's how I've been doing a lot of it. But for those of you folks, those of you folks who are interested in supporting Uncle Mike here, this is what I would ask. You know, if you got something out of this, just shoot me like a couple bucks on PayPal. Like literally, that's all I want. If I could get through the next couple months, if we still need money after three months, maybe I'll do something else. So if you listen to this and if you can spare a couple bucks, whatever, you can send me a couple bucks on PayPal. That would be fantastic. I'll keep on coming in and I'll share like my research. I'll do that all day long. So that would be the first thing. And Greg, hopefully we can include on the show notes, like where they could send a PayPal connection until they kick me off that. (laughs) You could always go to YouTube right now. I put out my stuff there. Maybe like once a week, I'm putting something out just me. I do a pretty regular show with Emily Moyer, which is kind of fun. And a lot of the stuff which I talked about today all began with those. So if you go to YouTube, you could see that. And that's a little bit less thought out, but it's watching these ideas come in real time, which I think some people enjoy to do. I do a a monthly or every two-week show with Ross Ben. You can see that on either one of our YouTube shows or channels. And then once a month, I do a show with Howdy Mikowski and Emily. All this is all on YouTube. So those are cool things if you resonate with this type of playing. And I'll even say this. This is kind of fun. What I do with Emily and Howdy, and I don't know if you know either one of those, we do this thing once a month. Two days before our recording, one of us will pick a story in the mainstream, and then each of us has like two days to look it over, and then we come and we present the weirdest stuff we can find from our own unique perspectives. And what the show is, is this kind of like high wire act of watching people looking at the same thing from different perspectives. And I think that holds a lot of value in terms of teaching us how to look at things in a different way all of this field of dream stuff came from one of those episodes so like i think there's something there but at the very least beginning for us to learn to look become more flexible with our understanding so all of that's on youtube the last thing is i'm still selling it's called the rights of the 40th parallel on my website that is a book which goes through these sacred locations right on the susquehanna river you can buy one of those and I highly recommend if you are on the East coast of the United States and you can get out there, go to this location, go check out the sites and follow what I did in that book. But if you're not, what I would encourage is if you order the book, use it as a model, use it as a model to better understand your own surroundings. I go through four different locations and I explain it physically and then I explained it. Spiritually, And then I put like the going to the different locations in an overarching experience. And so what my hope would be, if you do not have the opportunity to go to the 40th parallel of the Susquehanna River, if you got a copy of the book, you would go and you'd see like kind of how I structured it. And then you would go and invent your own. You would look in your own backyard and be like, oh, okay, let me see it this way and that way. And you begin to come up with your own story, with your own surroundings, because this is how you begin to create an intellectual, emotional, and spiritual feedback loop to where you live. And then the last thing I guess you could do is, and you can get these on my website as well. And I kind of like this because I don't have to do anything because third-party printing does it, but you can buy some of the t-shirts, like some of the swag. I think that's really cool t-shirts. So you could get that as well. So if any folks you can help me out, I would greatly appreciate it. And if not, like, you know, I'll continue doing what I'm doing.
0: Right on. Man, well, you are one of the greats, a very unique character with a unique perspective. And I'm lucky to know you, man. Another classic in the bag. Keep doing what you do and take care out there.
1: Thank you. And the feeling is mutual.
0: All right, Michael Wan, helping me stay on track. I am very thankful. Having him give me an outline saved me a lot of time and was a huge help. The last thing I want to do 30 days before a baby shows up is be behind schedule on the show. So big thanks to him. I'm sorry it wasn't my best showing. Clearly, my favorite aspects of the proposed outline were related to the ancestral nature of these big pharma companies and their history and the parallels to IG Farben and their connection to experimentation on humans during World War II and what the DuPonts have set up in this Delaware area. I don't know why, as the interview went on, I was so hung up on getting to the practical big pharma stuff. I know the Hollywood Spellcraft material is also really interesting The plot lines of these movies that take place in that area are pretty eerie. I understand why Mike found these sinks with Field of Dreams to be worth focusing on, and I hope you guys agree. I just wanted to make sure free listeners at least got a taste of the Big Pharma stuff in this one. I was afraid it just wouldn't have quite enough meat if we didn't do it that way. But I know I was so distracted with how I was feeling that I just tried to stay out of the way for the most part. All good, though. Just a bit of a cold. People who heard me mention a cold on the last one have been writing me, asking if it's the Rona, and I will never know. I never had a smell or taste problem, and it just felt like a flu. Colds are just a part of life, and I got a pretty brutal reminder of that last week. Glad to be past it. It certainly made me feel like I haven't been living to my fullest. When you're sick in bed, it gets pretty boring and thoughts like, man, if I could just feel better, I'd never waste another day like this again. Definitely start bubbling up to the surface, you know? So I think it was a catalyst for me to live a little harder and to be a little more committed to getting out of my office and having more fun despite everything. I find that you can read the headlines and comb over news of new restrictions and drive yourself crazy, but if you actually just put the phone down and go out, it's not nearly as bad as the headlines make it seem. And if you expect it to get worse before it gets better, all the more reason to enjoy the now, right? But Mike did provide a Dropbox folder with 70-ish slides that go with this episode, I wouldn't want to limit it to just plus people, so it is in the show notes. You can find that link. It's Mike's work, not mine, so it only feels right to get it out to anyone who wants to follow along in that way. And I do feel for Mike, because he does a very special kind of work that is not easy to monetize. A Patreon isn't the best support system for him, because it's got to be constant content. Books aren't really the best, because they take so long to write and actually hit the shelves, and his work is usually very related to current cultural events. So it's weird, because he does some of my favorite sort of stuff, drawing esoteric connections through conspiratorial time and space, but to get properly compensated for the work just seems more challenging for him than it does for others, so... Consider a small donation if you like this synchromistic stuff as much as I do. And just to read some of Mike's support stuff that will also be in the show notes, appreciation and support are best expressed through PayPal at mkwan at comcast.net. M-K-W-A-N-N at comcast.net. You can go to YouTube slash Susquana Alchemy for... The shows he does like From the 40th Parallel with Ross Ben, Playing the Glass Bead Game with Emily Moyer, Susquehanna Storytime, and Sus AF, which is a great name. All intriguing branches on the Michael Wan work tree. Susquehannaalchemy.com to purchase the rights of the 40th Parallel and for booking private tours and then sesquihannaalchemy.threadless.com for the t-shirts and the stickers. And in the time since recording this, he did actually start that podcast. You can find the RSS feed in the show notes. He's already got four or five episodes. Grab that link and smash the subscribe button if you think his new podcast is something you might enjoy. And that's really enough promo talk. I gotta give it all to Mike because he really did... This episode basically alone, and you already know how to support THC and get more show. But thanks for listening. I hope you're all navigating all of this craziness with a positive mental attitude, staying low stress, and being a good support person for those in your life who aren't as strong or as clued in as the rest of us. That's about it for me. I will catch you next time, and be on the lookout for a San Diego meetup announcement if you're anywhere near the area. But for now, I've done my part. Your move, Hollywood spellcrafters, big pharma freaks, and facilitators of the dark DuPont agenda. Your fucking move.
2: Have a drink and a smoke. Listen to the cast. We shine a shiny spotlight put criminals on blast the pinstripe men of morning and families of finance dupont windsor and rothschild the kids don't stand a chance the kids don't the kids don't stand the kids don't stand a chance i said the kids don't the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance We're looking for the answers To questions never asked So we come to the Cartwood For the higher side chats The pinstripe men of mourning And families of finance DuPont, Windsor, and Rothschild The kids don't stand a chance. The kids don't. The kids don't stand. The kids don't stand a chance. I said, The kids don't. The kids don't stand. The kids don't stand a chance. we try to get a glance we're working on the numbers resistance must advance the pinstripe men of morning and families of finance dupont windsor and rothschild the kids don't stand a chance the kids don't The kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. I said, the kids don't, the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. The kids don't, the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance. I said, the kids don't, the kids don't stand, the kids don't stand a chance.